You need to be unapologetically confident, put yourself out there, and don't apologize for being you. Welcome back to Everything But The Ball. I'm Callie Birchfield. I'm Katie McNulty. And I'm Jenna Case. And today we're here with Jill Guerin, the play-by-play analyst for the Visalia Rawhide. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jill. Yeah, thanks, ladies. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And for those who obviously don't know you, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself career-wise? Yeah, so I went to Emerson College in downtown Boston, graduated there in 2018 with a degree in journalism. During my time there, I interned with the Boston Red Sox my senior year. And that same summer, I did a few play-by-play games for the Nashua Silver Knights, who are a summer collegiate baseball team. Um, because of those two great things, I had other internships in Boston, but because of those two great things, I was able to get a professional reel and send it out to Visalia, which is where I am now. I ended up being hired by the Rawhide in 2019, and I've been here ever since. I'm their play-by-play broadcaster, but with that in the minors includes a lot of other things. I do social media, marketing, PR, community relations, kind of a little bit of everything with the minors. Yeah, so it sounds like you're kind of a one-woman show. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Of- so, as you said, you're the play-by-play analyst, and I think oftentimes it's very rare you hear a female play-by-play analyst. But when did you first find uh, your passion for calling play-by-play? Right. I don't know if it was necessarily my passion that I found, but I first decided I wanted to be an announcer when I was 12 years old. And that started out with the same thing where in middle school boys taunt you because women aren't supposed to know about sports, that kind of thing. And I went and told my mom and she said, well, hey, you know a lot about sports and you talk a lot. Why don't you go into broadcasting? And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like fun. I just have to talk about baseball all day. Like, yeah, sign me up. Of course, there's so much more to that than what I thought when I was 12. But it wasn't really a passion then. I was still playing. Mm -hmm. I played softball all the way through college. And that was kind of more of my, um, not goal, because I knew I wasn't going to be a professional softball player. But I dedicated a lot of time to softball more than I did broadcasting. I don't really think I found a passion for actual broadcasting until college Mm -hmm. when I started getting some hands-on experience at Emerson. But my passion for sports has been constant throughout my entire life. So you mentioned youth softball at Emerson, and that kind of goes into our next question. So how do you think, you, you know, your time as a student athlete at Emerson helped pave the way for where you are now in your career? I mean, first of all, being a college athlete is a lot of work. You spend a lot of time working on the bus, working late hours. And for me in particular with journalism, it's not like you're a math major and you can do homework late at night. I have to spend time during the day going out and interviewing people and finding stories. So that makes it a little bit more difficult where I need to be really flexible with things. So being a student athlete taught me how to be like really good with time. I learned time management. I learned how to be a team player, how to work with other people. So that's a really big skill set that I learned. In terms of my career, I think people kind of respect me a little bit more where they're like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. They know that I've played. I've also coached. I still do one-on-one softball lessons with, with girls. So it's a little bit more of a respect thing, which sounds more negative than I mean for it. But 
my knowledge of the game and my passion for the game because I play does show in my broadcasts because I tend to give more tidbits and knowledge on the actual players' mindsets than maybe someone else who is more of a technical broadcaster. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. And to build off of that, so outside of being a student athlete, what are some of the other organizations that you participated on campus that helped you get that hands-on experience that you were talking about earlier? So I was a part of Emerson College Sports. Uh, they broadcast all the uh, sporting events that happen at Emerson. And I did a lot of camera work for them, a little bit of color analyst. I don't, I think I maybe did one game of play-by-play -play there and I did some sidelines. So that helped me just gain experience and understanding how a broadcast works. Um, again, I didn't get a lot of experience in terms of behind the mic, but I definitely understood how a broadcast is supposed to go down and just understanding a producer's point of view with things too. Um, I did a little bit for WEBN with some in front of the camera, some behind, a few writing articles. I wrote for the Berkeley Beacon, the local newspaper. And, and again, all of these things, because you hear of these kids at Emerson who do all of these different things they are a part of every single one of those. I was not one of those people. I look back and I feel like a slacker compared to some of the kids at Emerson. So that, but then of course I talked to my mom about it and she's like, no, you did so many different things. You did say yes to opportunities. But to me, like softball was my main priority. If something was going to get in the way of softball, it, it didn't happen. The only time that I let something get in the way of softball was my Red Sox internship because my senior year, I hit the point of, okay, I'm not going to be playing softball for the rest of my life. Time to put it maybe like one step behind on my priority list. Building off your Red Sox internship and how you started to uh, sort of prioritize that, you also mentioned you did quite a few other internships and how did you really manage all of those in between classes and softball and all the work you did on campus too. Being able to figure out my schedule, I did not accept internships during softball season except for my Red Sox one. And I did work at the Pawtucket Red Sox, the AAA team of the Red Sox for my sports communication class. I had to use that for my minor. So it was like an internship. Those were the only two things that I did. But that semester, I only had my capstone as a class. So I had more time to work with things and I was able to be flexible in my coach Phil McElroy he was really good and he was really helpful to work with my schedule but with time management it was hard I also lived 30 to 40 minutes off campus from off the tee so I crashed a lot um, at my underclassmen's like dorm rooms if I knew I was going to be working late or if I needed to use the suite so I I used a lot of time being on campus. I mean, I'd be on campus from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. some days because we had 6 a.m. lift and then I had a class until 10 p.m. or I was in the journalism suites working on my capstone. So it was just really using any possible free time wisely. You would rarely see me just sitting and eating. I usually was eating and working. So, And that's what I still do now with the Rawhide. I just had lunch and I was like, scarfing down my food while answering emails. So that's just something where if I have free time, I use it. And that was how I survived college. And somehow I still had time to like talk to friends and have a social life. I don't know how I did it. Like college, again, college students do so much and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And going back to earlier when you were 
uh, kind of giving a little brief introduction about yourself, you mentioned that there are a lot of other aspects to calling play-by-play in minor league baseball. So most people recognize you as the voice of the Visalia Rawhide, but what are some unseen aspects of your job that people don't really get to know about? Right. So with broadcasting, to me, that's the most important thing that I do because that's what I love and how I want to move forward in my career. But it is the least important thing to the team because it doesn't bring in revenue. So I also do sales in 2020 before the season was canceled. I had a $60,000 sales goal. They wanted me to sell that much of inventory. So that takes up a lot of my time. I run every single social media um, account that we have. I also work with all of the media relations people. I work with all the TV stations, radio stations, newspapers, magazines, not only to get interviews for players and things like that, but I also trade out advertisements. I'm the one making sure that our brand is out there. So marketing is the big thing that I do outside of broadcasting. Now, in terms of what do I do behind the scenes in broadcasting that people don't know, I'm at the ballpark by 9 a.m. every single game day, and I don't leave until probably an hour after the game because I have to prep all of my notes. I have to print all of the statistics, not only for myself, but for the visiting broadcaster, for the coaches, and for any other external media that's going to be there. So I'm not only prepping for my broadcast, but I'm kind of helping others prep for their stuff too. I'm also taking pictures for social media, answering emails if needed, maybe going to a community event where I bring a player to go read kids, read books to kids at a school. Um, And then like I actually broadcast and have to talk to players and interview. And then after the game, I'm writing a post-game recap too. So it's long hours, but it's so worth it. (laughs) That's awesome. And um, if we can zero in a little bit on the marketing aspect and all that social work that you do so like you said a big aspect of your job is to run all the socials for the account and I think or for the team and I think over the last few years you know the whole world of social media has changed in in the craziest ways and since uh joining the organization how have you seen the use of these platforms um you know by sports franchises change um you know as you've been a part of the the organization I think the main thing for us, and we've been a little bit behind the ball with things um, because you, you know, we're not the Red Sox. We're not the Yankees. We're not these big media places where we're going to have tons of people looking at our accounts. Although we have over 40,000 people looking at our social media accounts in total, which is pretty good for a low A team. But for us, it's a lot of brand recognition and we've been trying to sell things like season tickets or merchandise, or trying to get people to come to the ballpark sales-based social media, or we have a sponsor who is sponsoring a hat giveaway, that kind of thing that we're posting. And I want to also focus in on like fun things. I don't want you to feel like I'm selling you something every single time. I want to have a video of a player doing something weird or something funny. We're actually this week going to be doing like a spring training video, how the Rawhide front office is getting ready for the season. So we're going to have clips of our ticket, our director of ticketing answering the phone of me, like listening back to my reel and prepping for that. Like just little things of how we're prepping for the season, trying to make it fun and just entertaining for our fans. Cause again, we want to sell stuff and make money, but 
it's baseball. Like, let's have fun. Let's laugh. Let's have them get to know our players on a personal level because baseball players are funny. They do dumb things and it's really fun. So we want to highlight that more. Totally. When I get like the mic'd up videos on my For You page on TikTok, I always get so excited because I know it's going to be so good. And I'm a Yankees fan. So first of all, don't hate me. Second of all, <laughs> this is kind of painful, but the Red Sox ones are always the best. They're so funny. It's so much fun. And like, yeah, specifically I, cause I get to know the players on a more personal level just by traveling and being on the field with them and stuff like that. Like they say funny things. And if we tell them, okay, we're going to give you noise canceling headphones, you, you're going to say this phrase and you have to guess it. It's like five minutes of pure gold footage and I want it to be fun. And if like, not everything needs to sell something. And I think even just having a fun video, it's still getting your brand out there and having that brand recognition is really important to us. Yeah. To your point, like selling definitely isn't everything, but also, as you mentioned, you do have to make money. And with COVID, I think it's been really difficult. There's been a ton of Um, you know, financial losses. So in what ways is your department kind of working with the revenue side of the franchise and the team to make up for those types of losses? Right. So right now it's difficult because we're in the Central Valley in California and we're slower to reopening than a lot of the rest of the nation. We just were cleared to have 20% capacity in in our ballpark and we have a very small ballpark in terms of seats. So we're going to have less than 600 people here to open up for opening day. And that's a tough pill to swallow, although we're really excited because we didn't think we were going to have fans to start the season. So it is a positive thing, but we need to capitalize on not only the season ticket holders, but okay, we need them to spend money in the ballpark. We need them to buy merchandise. We need to have the sponsors feel like they're getting a positive Thing from their money because it's going to be less people. How can we help them? So social media is going to be a huge part where that's really the only thing we could sell because not as many people want ballpark signs when there's only 600 people in the ballpark. But our social media numbers are just going to go keep going up, not going down. So I'm going to be doing a lot of sponsor-based ads, which is fine, but I need to make sure to make it fun and not just look like we're having ads all the time. So that's where I'm struggling and brainstorming. And also, I mean, I've only been back in the office full-time two weeks. So this is a sprint to opening day. We open in six weeks. So it's a lot of crazy hours trying to figure it out and brainstorm and implement it immediately. So it's, it's, it's tough, but we all work really well together. There's only nine people in our front office right now because of layoffs due to COVID and just when people were furloughed, they found other jobs. So it's just, we are have to work together really well. And I think we're doing okay. It's just figuring out the best way to implement things. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Ben, for taking the time out of your, I'm sure, crazy busy schedule to talk to us. That's so nice of you. (laughs) Um, And then focusing in on the broadcasting, which you said is your favorite part. In 2019, you became the third minor league baseball female broadcaster in history. First of all, let's go. That's amazing. We need more people like you. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) Um, 
And, and so when you step into the broadcast booth, are you often, you know, the only female, one of a few, is it balanced? Like what's that scene kind of look like? Yeah. So I'm, I'm the only woman in our league. Uh, the rest are all white men, which is great. They're awesome. They've been super supportive to me, but of course we want more diversity and not only with gender, but with um, race as well. So I think that's the part that is frustrating to me is having a diverse broadcast booth or having a diverse front office is only going to make our sport better. It's going to help give different perspectives because my perspective is different than any other broadcaster other than the four others that there are in the minors now. So for me, it's not only I'm a former athlete, I'm also the youngest one in the California league as a broadcaster, and I'm the only woman. That's three different perspectives that no one else can give. And that's what you want because you want to have these different ideas. And that, again, it's only going to make our sport better. Um, with To answer your question a little bit more with what's it like being the only woman, when I'm in the booth, I don't really notice it very often, except for my first broadcast. I was really nervous because I literally put like the weight of women on me where I was thinking if I suck, I'm fired, or they're going to say women can't broadcast and I'm going to like ruin it for every other little girl that wants to do it. Like that was my biggest fear. And now it's like, I want to be good because I care about the product that I'm giving, but it's not going to be the end of the world for women. So it doesn't really affect me too much in the actual booth. It's more of the outside areas. When you see people post something negative on social media or a player says something negative, that's more when I uh, notice the the differences and the issues yeah that's crazy because I I don't think any male would ever like walk into a broadcast booth and be like I have the weight of my gender on my shoulder like you know what I mean like it it's I I really do think we're making such amazing strides like there's so many people that are now being so vocal about making these changes which is amazing but like it's just crazy to hear stuff like that (laughs) I was also like 22 it was my first big like I didn't I didn't know what the hell I was doing like I was like I hope this works I hope this is what they want so it's it's tough yeah definitely we had Muffet McGraw on and she said that just women take things personally yeah. like if something goes wrong we're gonna be like dang it and just but men really don't care about that like they just don't men Men are a different species. Like, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So out of all the games you've had the chance to broadcast, are there any that are memorable for you? For sure. So the Rawhide won the California League Championship in 2019, and we broke a 41-year championship drought. So it's so cool to think that, like, my call is going down in history. It's so memorable. And again, where I got to know these guys on a personal level. So I know that the work and the sacrifices that they made that year, like finally came to fruition. And one thing that people might not know about minor leagues is you don't have the same starting uh, roster every single game. In fact, it changes every game. And I'm not talking about the starting lineup. I'm talking about the roster. So we had over 100 transactions in 2019 and we still were dominant the entire year we had a 14 game win streak in april and may we had we were the first half champs and the second half champs 
and the champions of the entire season in the playoffs. So it was just so amazing to see like next guy up. And it's a testament to the Diamondbacks organization and how well they've built their minor league system. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so cool. Like, guys, I'm so spoiled. I have a number, (laughs) I got a number one job at the age of 22. I got a very supportive front office, supportive players, and they won a lot. Like, my first season was amazing. They won the championship. Like, I can't beat that. (laughs) Yeah, I think those last three things are definitely some luck but the first one is all you don't chalk that up to anything other than talent and hard work we were talking about how women tend to put more pressure on themselves we also tend to get our success to luck more than to our actual ability and that is something I'm still working on I'll be 25 in July I'm still working on that (laughs) I will sorry to call you out (laughs) no it's okay (laughs) it was good it was a needed call out (laughs) Um, and on the flip side of Katie's question, what are some of the, you know, maybe not favorite or memorable for other reasons, whether it's, you know, in the games or in the booth, in the office, before you're like just throughout your entire career? Mm-hmm. I think one particular moment on social media, I remember when I was first announced as having the job, they, someone tweeted, women make lousy broadcasters and that one's that one hurt but of course to my mind I was like so do some men some men suck like it's not a gender thing just because like for for example and I can say this because he was my mentor but Tim Neverett with the with the Dodgers if someone says I hate Tim Neverett as a broadcaster they are not going to equate that to every single male broadcaster sucks on the other hand, if someone says Jessica Mendoza sucks as a broadcaster, they equate that to every single woman sucks as a broadcaster. And it makes no sense. Zero. So that's the part that really like gets under my skin um, in turn with negative reactions from players. My guys were so supportive. They always had my back when they heard that I was dealing with something bad. They were the first ones to like offer to say something. So I've been really lucky with that. I think two of the worst things that I've heard when I go into the clubhouse and the reason I'm going into the visitors clubhouse is I have to deliver the stats, the box score after every single game and check with the manager to make sure there weren't any discrepancies with errors or hits because we do go through every single play. And if they say, I think that was an error, I think that was a hit. I have to go back to the official scorekeeper and say, okay, here's what's going on with this and so forth. So the visiting locker room, I walk in and it's the showers right there. So it's an uncomfortable situation for anyone. Even if I'm a dude, no one wants to walk into that. Like the guys feel uncomfortable, even if I was a guy. So that sucks. And then I have to like bob and weave through all of these lockers and it's a tight space to get to the manager's office. So I understand that the guys feel uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that they can say a negative thing towards me. So one thing that I heard was, since when were women allowed in the locker rooms? That one sucked because I was like, since the 80s. Right. (laughs) And, And it was right as I was leaving. So if I turned around and made a comment, then I was like the woman who was blowing up and making something a big deal. So I had to just kind of swallow that and take it and call my mom and complain. The other one was I passed by a guy to give the stats to a manager and he asked me, 
are you enjoying the show? And that one pissed me off because like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to do my job. I'm sorry that you feel uncomfortable and I'm sorry that your defense mechanism is to be an asshole, but you don't get to talk to me like that. That is not okay and never will be. And again, I was 22, didn't know what to do, just kept walking. And I told one of my players just randomly, I happened to be talking about it. And he said, you need to tell us the next time something like that happens right away. And like, we'll take care of it. Which of course is code for, he was a pitcher. I'm going to throw at that guy. So I don't like, I don't want that to happen, obviously, but it was nice to know that these players have my back. Um, but yeah, those two things will stick with me for the rest of my life. You know, like other broadcasters who are male, they might have a really bad game or they might get their ass chewed out for doing something that's considered wrong with asking for rosters or getting stats. And they'll always remember that. But this is like, I'm going to always remember that someone said that to me solely because I'm a woman. And that's just a different layer of like anger and difficulties that we have to deal with as women. Just to kind of build off of that, like in those moments of um, feeling that really intense anger and sort of like almost uncomfortable being uncomfortable or someone making the situation uncomfortable, how do you manage to keep yourself just composed in that situation? Because I feel like a lot of people, myself, definitely myself included, would be, you know, ready to make some comment back. How, like, how do you do it? Um, I have a really good support system. My parents answer my calls at any hour of the day, and I'm really lucky for that. I have a great group of friends who not only played softball with me at Emerson, but high school friends who will always be there for me no matter what. So that's a huge part of it. Um, I think I remember, I just have to remind myself that how I react is going to make or break my relationship with someone. And even though they're on the visiting team, you never know where they're gonna end up and where I'm gonna end up. So I never wanna burn bridges with them. Um, and over the years, I've like really sat and thought about how I want to react to things. But the first one is usually I go into my booth and I cry and it's not from sadness, it's from pure anger and pure frustration. And I call my mom or a friend and just vent. Um, I've decided that throughout the years, depending on how intense the comment is and how bad it is, I might try to pull them aside one-on-one -on -one and just say, hi, we haven't officially met, but you made a negative comment towards me. My name is Jill. I'm the broadcaster for the Rawhide. And I just wanted to let you know that if you are uncomfortable with me coming into the clubhouse, you can just have a conversation with me and we can try to work it out where I give you guys a 10 minute window when I'm going to come in or I can try to take the back way in, but you do not need to make that comment towards me because it does no positivity for anyone. And that's the main thing that I think is, I don't know what those guys get out of saying that. Like, do you feel like, do you feel like a bigger person? Do you like, what are you doing? Does that really make you feel good? So, um, but it's also, I have to decide when do I need to say something when not to. When it's the visiting team, I it, like it's not as big of a deal to me but if one of my guys said that to me it would immediately be I'm pulling you aside because we have to work together this whole season the visiting right. team can be different depending on how important I think it is and if I can tell exactly which guy said it because sometimes they'll say it when my back's turned and I'm like 
I don't know which one of you guys said it. So it, it depends on the situation. But yeah, to answer your question of how do I deal with it, um, I get out of there as fast as I can. And I call my mom and I cry. So, um, but everyone has their own ways. I know other girls who kind of feel the same way. I do have a really good um, sisterhood with the other women broadcasters and the minors. So I lean on them a lot too. Yeah, that's awesome to hear that like outside of your family and like within the industry of minor league baseball that you have a support system of other female broadcasters. So I guess that's definitely like a positive out of some of the negatives of being a sort of a minority in the field Mm -hmm. it's huge like you immediately get each other and we're like there are four other women in this entire world who understand what I go through and I'm so lucky to have them as friends yeah going off your point like I don't know if you saw the NCA bubble situation yeah yeah that was rough that 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 did not go well especially from someone who's like a former athlete and you know like it's not our fault that maybe the men's tournament makes more money but that's not a woman's athlete's fault we're still putting just as much work in we're still lifting working out practicing juggling school we are still putting just as much effort in as the men are and to have that disrespect it's unacceptable like hands down and I'm happy the NCAA has like made it right for the most part and they have not been hiding behind fake comments anymore and they've accepted and admitted that they made a mistake and that's huge and that's a big step because in years past if people called out sexism they'd make excuses so in 2021 we're finally like accepting our faults which is good exactly So you kind of mentioned it earlier, just to kind of jump, how do you balance being the director of broadcasting and media relations manager for the Raw High? Yeah, um, always, so what I do is if I get a text message or an email related to anything work, I respond immediately because if I open it and don't right away I'm going to get to so that's just one of my tips and tricks of how I work and it's not always healthy for each person's mental state because I have friends who I will have a day off and I'll go hang out with them and I'm on my phone constantly responding to social media responding to media relations people and maybe players asking questions things like that and they're like Jill you need to put down your phone and that's just not a possibility for me so it depends on each person's mental state but for me I can handle that So I do that. And then I dedicate certain amount of time. I have a pretty strict routine on game days of I do media relations first and broadcasting next. And I come in early. So that way, when the team starts doing early work and batting practice at 3 p.m., I'm for the most part done with my media relations part and I can be the broadcaster. So I sacrifice sleep to be able to get all the information that I need for my broadcast. But it's worth it because at three o'clock that's when it becomes fun and I just get to talk about baseball. Absolutely. So then to kind of end on our last one, what advice would you give to a woman who wants to break into the sports industry? There's a lot of like really great advice in terms of say yes to everything and, you know, put yourself out there, things like that. But to me, I think everyone kind of understands how to break into the industry is networking and you need to 
try everything and say yes within reason. But to me, it's more about your attitude. And every single woman needs to know that they belong there. You need to be unapologetically confident, put yourself out there and don't apologize for being you. Don't apologize for being a woman. I'm sorry that I walk into the clubhouse and you're uncomfortable. That's not my fault. That's on you. Be unapologetically confident and know that you belong there and no one else can take that away from you. I love Period. that. Yeah, I love Period. that. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly was perfect and I love that so much. <laughs> Going into our next section, it's called rapid fire, and we each ask you one question, and you just answer with the first answer that comes to mind. Okay, so sounds good. If you could have dinner with any athlete, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Pedro Martinez. He was my first crush. I used to associate him as the Red Sox. I would ask my dad, (laughs) is Pedro playing instead of are the Red Sox playing? Um, Yeah, that'd be my hands down. (laughs) That's amazing. <laughs> um, if there was any sporting event that you could attend from any point in history, uh, what would it be and why? The 04 softball Olympics gold medal game. Huge softball fan. Just, I mean, those girls are legends in them, like, hands down. I would love to. <laughs> Plus, it's in Greece. Like, I want to go to Athens. Oh, my God, so. right? <laughs> What was your most embarrassing moment playing sports as a child? Okay, there, there were two. As a child, I was not paying attention when I was pitching and someone threw the ball in after a play and it hit my nose and I had to leave the game and they did not put me back as pitcher for an entire season because <gasps> of that. Um, the second one is way more embarrassing. It was junior college and it was against UPI. We were down by a lot. I was benched that game because I was not playing well. And then I came in in a pinch hit situation and we started a rally. I hit a double off the wall, big deal to start the rally. It was great. And I do this thing where when I hit a double, I scream, let's go from second base. And I did that and peed my pants. And like, you know, we had to keep playing the game. So wait, like, what did you do? Um, I was just like, well, here we are. I mean, it wasn't like a blown, like bladder let go. Like I'm I'm 20, like I have like muscle, like pelvic muscles, but like it was, it was more than like a few drops. Oh my God. (laughs) We wore black pants though. And like sliding pants. So I had like some layers, but, um, yeah, kind of embarrassed that because before only my teammates knew that. And now like I'm putting it on a podcast. (laughs) It's so funny. funny. I was gonna ask what colored pants you guys were wearing because I think now they have like they're wearing they have white like, pants. They now. have oh, white yeah. or gray. So mm-hmm. nope, we were. Oh, were we wearing gray? You're lucky. No, <laughs> if we were wearing gray, it didn't show. Um, yeah. Talk about excitement. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, I pumped up my team. We ended up winning. Like, it's great. Yeah. So, you know, worth it. Put yeah, small price to pay. <laughs> Put in the W column and just move on. <laughs> you, you would think that the peeing the pants story would be when I was six years old, not when I was five, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> um, so that's everything that we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 11. And Jill, thank you so much for coming on. This was literally so fun. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. We come back every other Wednesday with a different guest. So all of you guys listening, please be sure to subscribe on Spotify and iTunes. And also go ahead and give us five stars on iTunes. If you want to stay in the loop on all of our episodes and our guests, uh, go ahead and please follow us on Instagram at everything but the ball and on Twitter at EBTV underscore pod. Thanks again for hanging out and we'll see you guys in episode 12.